have your Bibles this morning, and I trust that you do. If you can open with me to two um, places again, Psalm 135 and Revelation 19. Psalm 135, Revelation 19. And welcome to our 16th message on the attributes of God in a series that we are calling Behold, where we are just looking um, at the way God has revealed himself um, in his word. And we've acknowledged from the very beginning of this series that attempting to wrap our minds or our brains around the innumerable um, and magnificent attributes of God is a feat which we will never be able to fully accomplish. Yet we know God has graciously revealed himself to us. And this is what we're looking at in his word, how God has revealed himself. And think about this. What has God revealed about himself through his word? And we know he has revealed his glory, his holiness, his goodness, his love, his righteousness, his faithfulness, his fullness as seen in the Trinity, his sovereignty, his forgiveness of our sins, his justice, his omnipotence, his omniscience, his salvation, his presence, omnipresence, his presence with us, his graciousness, the fact that he is perfect. Um, and that, that's just a, a small portion of the things that God has revealed about himself through his word. And this morning we come to the omnipotence of God, that God is omnipotent, meaning that he is able to do his holy will. He is able to do all that pleases him. And Think about this. We live in a world where powers are constantly shifting. So we live in a world of shifting powers. Sometimes it's in our homes where powers in our homes are shifting. I think of you know, our, our feet right now raising kids, and maybe you've been there and you realize that, or know along with me that there are times where we have to admit as parents we're not in control. Um, our kids have control in those moments, so we have that shifting um, control that takes place. We have um, control that shifts within our jobs, where sometimes we have leadership that comes and goes, and our standing in our jobs sometimes shifts and changes. We have um, we see shifting in control of our health, where we realize that we aren't in control of our health, and things happen that we are not. Um, aware of and don't plan and yet it happens or shifting powers within our government where things shift really really quick so we live in this world of where things are constantly shifting um, in, in power yet the omnipotence of God declares that power is God's alone so the omnipotence tells us that there is one who has power and he has power alone now God has delegated his power at times to his creatures but God has never surrendered his power to us so God will delegate his power in different things in different places and different people but God has never surrendered any of his power God is more than we could ever dare to imagine and that's the way it must be for when it comes to how God directs all people how God directs all the events of history. Let me just kind of break it to us this morning. God doesn't need our permission. God doesn't need your permission. He doesn't need my permission. And God doesn't owe us an explanation for why he does what he does. He doesn't. God owes us no explanation. I've heard of people, um, God-fearing people, who say, I can't wait to get to heaven. I'm going to point the finger in God's face and make him answer questions of this and that and something else. Oh, no, you won't. 
Oh, oh, no, you won't. You will sit there as Job did with your mouth or your hand over your mouth, um, letting God do all the speaking on that day. But think about this with whether it be the macro level or a micro level, the world is under God's control. God is able to do whatever he pleases and God is able to do it whenever he he wishes. Our problem seems to start when God's power becomes more personal. And what I mean by that is this. Um, Spurgeon said, men will allow God to be everywhere except on his all-powerful throne. So we want God to be everywhere except ruling over us. You know, think about this. To speak of the stars is one thing. Most of us can leave that with God. We can leave the universe and God's control of the universe with God because we know in the depths of our heart that we had nothing to do with the stars being where they are or them staying where they are. But to say that God is in charge of all that happens to us, the good, the bad, the happy, the sad, the positive, um, the negative, that God is working out a plan that somehow includes both of those things, the, the good and the bad, it can oftentimes seems like, seem like another story to us because it involves us. Every Christian at one point or another in their walk with Christ will not only encounter suspicions of a non-believer, where a non-believer will say, why do you trust God? Or why do you go to church? Or why do you believe like you do? We will all encounter those suspicions, and we will also all encounter those suspicions of our own hearts, where our sinful hearts will say, why are you trusting God? What, is, what good is it to trust God? What has it benefited you? Our sinful hearts will do that as well if we are not careful. We will wrestle, and let me just say this, we must wrestle with the questions of whether the God we worship is as powerful as his word says he is, or if God is as powerful as we know we need him to be as we walk through the things of this world. It all comes down to this question, what kind of God do we believe in, right? What kind of God do we really believe in? Do we really believe in a God who has all control and all authority and all power over all things, or do we not believe in that kind of God? It, it, really, the ultimate question is, what kind of God do we or will we believe in? So let's jump in the Word together, and here's the prayer. Let's let the Word dictate what we believe. So what kind of God will we believe in? How about the God of the Word? And let's, let's let the Word of God dictate the God we believe in, and to... And let the word reveal to us um, our omnipotent God, the one who is all-powerful. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word. We're going to begin in Psalm 135, verse 6, and then skip over to Revelation 19, um, also verse 6. So Psalm 135, verse 6, it says this, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. So God does whatever he pleases everywhere is what we are told. And in Revelation 19, 6, when you get there, and John writes, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty or the Omnipotent, reigns. The Lord Almighty reigns. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. You are the all-powerful, the omnipotent one. Lord, you do whatever pleases you, and God, you reign. Lord, just help us today to see that, God, not only do you reign over 
the microscopic and things that we can't see, God, you reign and you have all power over our lives, over every pain, every sorrow, every difficulty that we have, that we are, or that we ever will experience. Would help us today to trust you like never before, to trust your power like never before. God, that you aren't just a an all-powerful God who doesn't care for us. Lord, you are an all-powerful God who, who deeply cares for us. Just remind us of that this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be serious. So think about what we just read. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Or hallelujah, which means praise the Lord. The Lord, the Almighty reigns is what we just read. The Bible is very clear that God is not limited in his ability to accomplish whatever purposes or whatever actions are pleasing to him. But let me just say this as well. And please um, follow with me. The Bible is also clear that there are simply some things that God cannot do. So God can do whatever he pleases, whatever he wills, but there are certain things that God cannot do. Now, before you want to throw your Bible at me, let me just tell you a few of those. God cannot sin. God cannot be tempted, nor can he tempt anyone. God cannot lie. God cannot deny himself. God cannot increase or decrease in his knowledge or his power. God cannot fail. Praise God, he cannot fail. God cannot change. God cannot cease to exist, nor can he cease to be God. So these are a few things that God cannot do. Or I love the words of Carl Henry who says that God will not alter his own nature, that he cannot deny himself, that he cannot lie and cannot sin, that he cannot be deceived, and that moreover he cannot die are affirmations which historic Christian theology has always properly associated with divine omnipotence and not with divine limitation. Meaning when we list the things that God cannot do, we're not supposed to go, well, God just, he can't, he's limited. No, we're supposed to say those things make him omnipotent and show his omnipotence. God can do whatever he wills, but God will never act contrary to his character. God will never act contrary to his nature. Or to put it this way, it is no limitation to perfection to say that it cannot be imperfect. So there is no limitation to perfection to say that it cannot be imperfect. And that's what we're saying. God cannot be imperfect, for he is the perfect one. And when we declare that God is all-powerful, there are sometimes what I would refer to as always knuckleheads um, that will say or ask questions like this. Well, if God can do anything, or if God is all-powerful, can he make a round triangle? Or if God is all-powerful, can he make a rock so big that he cannot lift it? And you know, we have those people, those um, knuckle-headed questions that will come up. And maybe that sounds like a legitimate question to you this morning. But let me just say this. Both of those questions are just filled with nonsense. They're filled with absolute nonsense. For number one, God cannot do anything against his character. And secondly, God cannot be limited, nor can God be tricked by us. Sometimes we think we're going to trick God with our questions. God will not be tricked by finite creatures like us. When we start dealing with, um, with, with these things, round triangles, we're talking about nothing. 
Because there is no such thing as a round triangle. There's no such thing as a God, as a rock that God um, can't lift. So we're talking about things that cannot exist, and we're trying to bring those. Let me just kind of say this. If there was such thing as a rock um, too, big that God, too big for God, let me say this. He could make it, and he could lift it. Um, so let me just throw that out there. But we deal with kind of nonsensical questions. C.S. Lewis even said this. We may attribute miracles to God, but not nonsense. So we can attribute miracles to God, but let's leave the nonsense with us um, and, and not try to push that on him. Just think about a few of the mighty and miraculous things that God has done according to his word. And this is just a few. God has created the universe out of nothing. Can you do that? God has He turned Lot's wife into a pillar of salt. He split the Red Sea. He brought manna from heaven and water from a rock. He slew 185,000 Assyrian soldiers at one time. He caused his servants, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to walk through fire unharmed. He shut the mouth of lions to protect Daniel. We get to the New Testament, and he caused a virgin, virgin excuse me, to conceive a child, and not just any child, but the Son of God. He cleansed lepers. He healed the lame. He gave sight to the blind. He gave hearing to the deaf. He fed 5,000, over 5,000, with a few loaves and, and fish. He raised Lazarus from the dead. These are just a few of the things that our almighty God is able to do. And yet sometimes we're worried about our little things that we have going on in our lives. And granted, they, they feel big, they feel huge, but they're not making the world out of nothing huge. They're not part of the Red Sea huge. And if God is able to do those things, he is more than able to handle the things in our lives. Before we jump into some powerful truths, I want to unpack one more thing. God can do everything that God wills. God can do everything that he pleases, but it doesn't mean that God does everything that he can do. So just because God can do anything that he wills doesn't mean that God can do everything that he can do. And think about it like this. For example, John the Baptist in Matthew 3 says, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. But did God make Jewish people out of stones? No. He, even though he was able to do it, he didn't do it. Or God could have destroyed Israel and raised up a great nation from Moses, according to Exodus 32. But he didn't. In fact, Jesus, on the last night when he was arrested, declared that he could have called 12 legions of angels to save him, but he didn't. So God's power is not always fully displayed. God doesn't always do everything that he can do in every situation, but God's power can never be extinguished. God's power can never be explained away. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to spend our, our last remaining minutes unpacking four truths. So last week was five. This week is four truths related to the power of our great God as seen on display um, all over his word. So the first truth is this. God's power is displayed in creation. So God's power is displayed in creation. It's always good to begin where God begins in his word. In the beginning, God did what? Created the heavens and the earth. 
Or the prophet Jeremiah put it this way in Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth. How? By your great power and by your outstretched arm. And then he goes on to say this. Nothing is too hard for you. In the book of Romans, the apostle Paul declares that the world is guilty because the power of God is visible to us through creation. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans 1, 19 and 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them, meaning the whole creation, because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. So Paul says God's power is on display in in his creation, what he has seen. And then he says this, so they are without excuse. Think about the majesty of the universe, the existence of, the immensity of, the complexity of the universe gives us indisputable evidence of an omnipotent God. I think of the words of Henry Morris, who says, we look at the stellar sky and we learn facts about God. He says this, since the universe appears almost limitless in extent, the first cause, God, must be virtually infinite. Since the universe appears almost endless in duration, he must be virtually eternal. Since the universe is phenomenally complex and contains intelligent life, God must be omniscient. Since the universe contains feelings, emotions, love, and human relationship, its creator must be personal. Since the universe contains goodness, righteousness, love, and justice, God must be moral. And since the universe pulsates with energy, its creator must be omnipotent. And this is what we see. Yet not only do we see God's power in creating the universe and creating all that we see, don't miss this, we also see God's power in sustaining everything that he has made. God doesn't just create it and leave it to itself. God sustains all that he makes. He keeps it going. Listen to Isaiah 40, 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. Who brings out their host, meaning the stars, by number. He calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. Why? Because God sustains it. He holds it. What would happen if for a single moment God withdrew his hand from the universe? Think about that. If just for a single moment God were to withdraw his hand from the universe, what would happen? And here's what would happen. It would fly off into oblivion and chaos. It would collapse like a building imploding. God is the glue, the the, powerful glue that holds it all together he is the god who sustains the world in which we live in he is power he is power he is power and think about this it goes even further if god sustains the universe that he created how much more will he sustain us his own children he knows how to care for us psalm 55 22 says cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. During a very difficult time in David's life, David wrote in Psalm 3, verse 5, I lay down and slept. 
I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. Psalm 54.4 says, Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. Are you getting it now? I, I, especially like Isaiah 46.4, which says, Even to your old age and your gray hairs, I am he, I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. Isn't that good to think about? This is our God, the God's endless energy and omnipotent power radiates beneath us and as he his everlasting arms are holding us up i think that this past week on our vacation malachi um if if you call it an adventure he says an adventure has to be in the woods so there's no such thing as an adventure without going in the woods so the little cabin we had right out of our cabin um out of the back door there was a huge hill that we were able to go down so the first day we went down about halfway and and we came back up, and I held his hand the whole time and brought him all, all up. Well, the third day, we did it again, and Misty was on top watching us. And, you know, since she was there, I was, was still trying to um, impress the love of my life. So we went not just halfway, we went all the way down um, together. And I, we got all the way down, and I looked up, and I was like, how are we going to get back up? This is, I mean, what are we going to do? So, of course, we began to, to get back up, and I was... I'm holding Malachi's hand the whole time, and we got about halfway back up, and he says, Dad, I'm tired. And I was like, of, of course you are. So what did I do? I put him on my shoulders, and I carried him up the rest of the way. But let me tell you this. I expended all of my energy and carry him up to the top. I had nothing left by the time I carried his 60-pound body um, up the hill. But here's the beautiful thing. We have a God who constantly and continually carries us without expending any of his energy. Amen. He is able to continually always carry us. If in that moment when I got to the top of the hill, if Malachi would say, carry me again, Dad, I would say, uh-uh. Uh, you're walking up the stairs by yourself. I have nothing left. But God can carry us up a hill and praise Him. He can carry us again. And again and again and again and again. Out of the infinite depths of His power, God spoke the universe into existence. He sustains it. He carries it into the future. This is our God. His Power is on display through creation. But then secondly, God's power is displayed in the resurrection. So not just in creation, his power is displayed in and through the resurrection. Romans 1.4 says that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power by the resurrection from the dead. In Ephesians 1, the Apostle Paul prayed that our eyes would be open to see. And you can look at it. Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, their eyes will be open to see what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us. What power? The power that according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So according to the Apostle Paul, the resurrection helps us to see the immeasurable greatness of God's power. God, by his powerful work, get this, he reversed the process of death. He overturned the process of decay. He caused a silent heart that wasn't beating to beat again. He caused our Lord's eyes, who had 
were closed in death to once again um, open. His lifeless corpse walked again, but there's so much more. And here's where we oftentimes fall short. And please hear this. Jesus didn't simply return to life. Jesus wasn't just resuscitated. Sometimes that's in our mind, that's what we think. He was dead and just resuscitated. No, Jesus was resurrected with a glorified body. So it wasn't resuscitation, it was resurrection where Jesus now has a body incapable of aging, incapable of pain, incapable of sickness, incapable of death. He was resurrected with an eternal body which according to Philippians 3 is a foretaste of what is coming for us. Where we will have a resurrected body um, free from sickness, free from pain, free from suffering, praise God, free from death. Think about the power of the resurrection. Therefore, the, the mightiest power ever unleashed on this earth was not the power of an A-bomb dropped on Japan. It was not the power of the greatest earthquake, the greatest volcano, tornado, hurricane, or flood that our earth has ever known, or all of those things even put together. The mightiest power ever unleashed on this earth was when God raised Jesus from the dead. When God defeated forever sin and death, Satan and all of his evil forces were aligned in full battle force, in full battle array when Jesus lay in the tomb. They wanted nothing more for him to stay in that tomb. Yet Satan and all his demons are not omnipotent. God is. Therefore, when Acts 2 says it was impossible that the grave could hold him, it means that it was impossible that the grave could hold Jesus. This is a picture of who he is, God's power displayed in the resurrection. So we see creation, resurrection, and then third, God's power is displayed in our redemption. God's power is displayed, brothers and sisters, in our salvation. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. In the words of Charles Spurgeon, every conversion is a display of omnipotence. Every time God saves someone, he saves them, get this, powerfully. God saved, I, you know, I love different phrases that people do. You know, even you know, sometimes we, we get so close, but yet we don't get far enough. Like the, the phrase, God showed up and showed out. Listen, God doesn't have to show up. He's always here. And every time God works, he never works just enough. He always shows his power and his might, even when things don't happen the way we want them to. Meaning this, I talked to Miss Nancy yesterday and she said this. Her and her sister sat there holding Miss Bessie's hands when she passed away last Wednesday. And she said this, it was a gift of God for us to be there. Now we would say if Miss Bessie set up, oh, God showed out. No, God showed out just as much, giving them his peace and his strength and all that they needed to get through those moments. Thus is the power of our God. Let's not limit him to when he gives us what, he, what we want, then he's good and he's powerful. But when he doesn't give us what we want, then he must not be. No, God is just as powerful when we don't get what we want as when we do. He's just as powerful. Let's not miss that ever in any situation, and especially when it comes to our salvation. 
In Ephesians 1, the apostle, or, or excuse me, think about this. Um, and we're going to get to Ephesians 2 in just a second. But in the Old Testament, when, when God wants to show us his redemption, the Old Testament always pointed us to God leading his people out of Egypt, leading them across the, the Red Sea. And when we think about God showing his redemption in the Old Testament, we might think that God wanted to highlight his mercy or his goodness or his kindness. But every time we see a reference to the Old Testament redemption through um, Israel coming out of Egypt, it, it's always pointing to God's power. So God's power in bringing them out. And it's the same thing we see um, even in the, the New Testament. In the New Testament, we see um, God's salvation of us. And sometimes we, of course, want to focus on um, God's love. And granted, we are we are saved because God poured his love upon us, his grace. But ultimately, the Bible focuses, when it focuses on, on our salvation, on the fact that God's power, God's almighty God has the power and alone has the power to save us. For some reason, for some reason, many of us, we act like salvation is a given instead of acting like salvation is an impossibility. We act like salvation is a given. Like, of course God saved me. Why wouldn't God save me? And we fail to realize Jesus says, when speaking of salvation, with man, it's impossible. So salvation with us is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So here's the thing. When we think about our salvation, we have to begin by saying this. My salvation is an impossibility. I can't do it. I can't earn it and neither can you so therefore we need an all-powerful God to do for us what we can't do for ourselves Amen. and if you don't see your salvation as an impossibility the chances are you believe that somehow you earned it and you are placing yourself against the very word of God it's not a good place to be ever just think of Ephesians 2 Ephesians 2 verses 1 and 4 and 5 says you were dead and trespasses and sins then it says this, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved you, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Only God can do that. Only God can take what is dead and trespasses and sins and brings that, uh, that dead corpse to life. And although of course, Paul focuses on God's great love. It's God's powerful grace that brings us from death to life. And when it comes to redemption, we are kept by God's power, not by ours. So God saves us and praise God, he keeps us. No, nothing in the world has the power to save like the gospel. Think of it like this, Judaism Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, they, none of them have a savior from sin. Jesus is the only savior of sinners in the whole world. There is no other savior of, of sinners. And therefore, what's the gospel? The gospel is the message of what Jesus has done for us. And according to Paul, it is the power of God to salvation for anyone who believes. For all who believes. And God exerts his power in, in a few different ways when the gospel is proclaimed. Sometimes when the gospel is proclaimed, the gospel is like a sledgehammer. And it will break the hardened heart. 
So there are times where the gospel is proclaimed and it is a sledgehammer to the hardened heart. Other times the gospel is like a fire and it melts the hardened heart. And it melts it in a way that points us to God. God uses the gospel to bring salvation to lost people. And every time God saves a person, he saves them, get this, in power. God never saves us weakly. He never saves us in weakness. He always saves us in power because we need God to do for us in salvation what we could never do for ourselves. This is the beauty of the gospel. God's power displayed in our redemption. And then lastly, God's power is displayed through our affliction. And let me just ask you this. I know we're running out of time, but let me just say this. If God is all-powerful, why is there so much suffering in the world? Let's, let's just first of all acknowledge that that's an honest question, right? If God is all-powerful and loving, then why is there so much suffering? Many years ago, Rabbi um, Harold Kushner wrote a best-selling book entitled Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. Maybe you read it. In it, he wrestled with um, difficult questions from a very, very personal point of view. He even told about his own son who, who died at a young age from a rare disease that caused his body to age rapidly. In the aftermath of his loss, he came to the, the conclusion that he could no longer believe in traditional formulations about God's goodness or God's power. Eventually, he came to the conclusion that God is not all-powerful. So the conclusion that he came to is that God, even though he wanted to stop his son's sickness, um, he couldn't because he is not all-powerful over it. Can you imagine getting to a place where the only comfort that comes in the midst of your pain and your affliction is to tell yourself that God must not be in control? Can you imagine what kind of comfort would that bring? That we serve a God that isn't in control of my pain and my suffering and my sorrow, who isn't in control. Praise God, he is in control. He is in control. And I think it absolutely stunning that the most surprising concentration of Bible passages where we read of God being almighty and his nature being almighty is found, get this, in the book of Job. Meaning this, God is referred to as almighty more times in the book of Job than in all the other books of the Bible combined. So the name Shaddai, Almighty, occurs 41 times in the Old Testament alone, but 29 times is it found in the book of Job. Don't miss this. In the midst of Job's suffering, Job never found reasons. He was never given explanations for why he went through what he went through. And for many of us today, such deep suffering causes us to question, God, are you Almighty? God, are you all-powerful? God, do you care? Yet in the midst of all of Job's suffering, guess what Job did? He continued to call God Almighty. God, you're Almighty. Even even though he was questioning things. In Job 29, verse 2 and 4 and 5, he says, Oh, that I were as in the days when God watched over me, when the friendship of God was upon my tent, the Almighty was yet with me. Even though he felt like God had abandoned him in a way, he was still saying, God, you're Almighty. Are we ever tempted to explain away our suffering by diminishing God's power? I, I, I know we are. I pray we don't. Let me just say this. God is almighty even in the midst of our afflictions. Again, in 
in closing, and this helps us know we're ending, the ultimate question is this, what kind of God do we believe in? Our starting point makes all the difference. And let me just say this. If you start with your trials and your difficulties, and then you try to reason back to God, you will always end up with an unrecognizable God. That is what Rabbi Kushner did. He started with his pain and tried to go back to God. He ended up with a God who isn't powerful over all of those things. If you start with death, if you start with divorce, if you start with cancer, if you start with betrayal or failure or um, or different financial issues, it will be hard to find God. Not that God isn't there. He's there. We saw that a few weeks ago. He is there. But it's hard to see Him or find Him when we start with our own difficulties. When we start with things and make them so huge, it's hard to find God in those things. There is an invisible line that stretches from, from God to us, and we, we have to rest our faith in that invisible line, meaning we must start with God and then work our way to our trials. This is what the Word of God says about God. Therefore, it doesn't matter how this feels right now, and it feels terrible. This is who God is. This is who the Word declares Him to be. Through God's infinite power, He created the universe. Through His infinite power, God raised Jesus up from the dead. Through his infinite power and through God's amazing grace, he has redeemed our lives from destruction. Thus, God is powerful enough to use every circumstance and to use every affliction to bring good for us, to bring glory to himself, and to make us depend more on him. Let me just say this. God is all-powerful. And God is the keeper of promises, all of them. He keeps all of his promises. And the day is approaching, brothers and sisters, where we will look into the face of our all-powerful God and we will tell him on that day that he was worth our journey. He was worth our journey. No matter what that journey looked like, no matter how many difficulties, when we stand and look in the face of our all-powerful God, we will tell him that he was worth it all. He was worth it all. May he be worth it all now. May we depend on what his word proclaims of him now. May he be worth it now, knowing he will be worth it forever and ever and ever. If you can go ahead and stand with me, we're going to Call the musicians down and enter into a time of invitation and consecration where we say whatever it is that God is telling you that you would respond accordingly. Maybe God is speaking to your heart concerning um, salvation, concerning his power in salvation. May today be a day of salvation for those who, who are not saved. Or maybe God is speaking to you right now in the midst of your affliction. And sometimes in our affliction, we are so tempted, so tempted to make our afflictions so much greater and unfortunately at the same time make God so much smaller. Instead, may we pray to God in this moment that God would allow us to start with Him. Start with what His Word declares to be true of Him. And then when we have that settled, then work our way to our problems. Then work our way to our difficulties. But I promise you, brothers and sisters, if you start with your afflictions and your difficulties and all the chaos in your life and try to work back to God, you will end up with a God who doesn't have power or a God who cannot save. 
Start with the God who can save and the God who has all power and understand that he is able to do in us, for us, through us, what we can never do through ourselves. This is our God. Let us pray. Father, we come before you. And Lord, you are not a God of weakness. You are a God of power. And we thank you for your power. Lord, we thank you just for the way you work powerfully, God, through creation, through the resurrection, through our redemption, saving us from our sin, bringing what was dead to life. And Lord, the way that your power is even on display in affliction. God, help us as Job did to trust you even in affliction. As Job prayed, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God, turn our hearts to you, to what your word says of you. Finish this time in Jesus' name. Amen.